Welcome to My Heart Songs podcast number 126, From Pandemic to Endemic. Please understand that I have no wish to join the many pundits predicting this or that aspect of the future. I am no Cassandra, nor do I aspire to be inundated with fey powers of prediction. As news reaches us that a 117-year-old French nun, Europe's oldest known person, sailed through her COVID-19 infection, barely missing a meal or a prayer, it becomes increasingly obvious to this observer of all things medical and non that genetic roulette is surely at play. Add to that the week's developments that some people are rarely presenting post-vaccine with immune thrombocytopenia, a rare platelet disorder that prevents clotting and can lead to fatal bleeding episodes. It's in the genes, silly. If I could wave a magic wand of federal funding, more research would go into discovering what exactly those gene flaws are and how to go about an easy ID test. So we might highlight a simple screen, both for those most likely and least likely to be adversely impacted by the disease, as well as those with increased risk for an adverse vaccine reaction. Meantime, remain vigilant where it matters most. And that essentially reduces down to one basic principle. Avoid breathing the air that other people exhale. That is the science behind double masking, compassionate spacing, and occupancy limitations. Many of us are looking forward to soon supporting a favorite restaurant or two in person. Thanks to some pioneering efforts by a restaurant owner in Washington State, we are now seeing a new phenomena across the country. Installing carbon dioxide meters and keeping the level under 450 parts per million, only slightly higher than levels in the outside air. This allows a feeding establishment to count as open-air dining even if they have four walls. As long as they have gaping large windows and actively measure levels of carbon dioxide as a key indicator of how much fresh air is circulating. Important to remember that CO2 measurements are just an indication of how much air one is breathing that is coming out of other people's respiratory systems. There are a number of variables, including HEPA filters, how many people are in the room, if there's a wood stove, and so on. So relying on a single reading is not advised. Given the rapid progress with AI and quantum computers, it really is just a matter of time before individual sensory enhancements will be available. Implantable everything will be the norm once the challenges of brain-bio-implant interface are conquered. As nanoscale carbon fibers begin to replace tungsten, platinum, or stainless steel, the use of neural implants for deep brain stimulation to help treat diseases such as medication-resistant epilepsy, Parkinson's, and chronic pain will only intensify. Perhaps we will soon each have individual implantable CO2 monitors to alert us not only to infectious safety in a restaurant, but also climate change alarms, which are also, no doubt, part of our future unless we get our collective act together. In any case, it is clear that our pandemic wake-up call will soon morph into an endemic, persistent nagging at our collective will to engage in constructive change on a planetary scale. The virus is not going away, but will remain as a seasonal infection somewhat more deadly than influenza. And newer, deadlier ones will surely continue to emerge. Nelson Bandela inspires me with this pearl of sagacity. I never lose. I either win 
or learn. Triumph over tragedy. This past year has certainly been replete with emotional pain and perplexity. It has been a time of deliberate waiting more than instant knowing, testing my own personal limits of patience and compassion. Dealing with all the painful uncertainty is clearly a bit of a spiritual strip search, rooting out any ego vanity projects, arrogance around needing to be right, and fear-based futile attempts to remain in control. Life's wildness has come to remind me that whenever I am hurting, I need to proceed as if I have a splinter, calmly, slowly, creating spaciousness so that I can remove it gently, and to remember that there are always others who have it worse than my present moment discomforts. It has been wisely noted that individual stories motivate while statistics overwhelm. Giving is often inspired by a unique tale of woe more than numbers. Philosopher Will McCaskill, founder of Giving What We Can, an organization that promotes what he terms effective altruism, clearly understands that we don't heal suffering in the developing world by advocating for hardship in the developed world. He does not argue for the abolition of indulgent desserts, ridiculously expensive art, or fine wines. Effective altruism is not a plot to guilt the rich into becoming die-hard aesthetics. It does involve a commitment to caring, taking action, openness, and optimism through tithing on steroids to the extent one can handle it. The money garnered is used for evidence-based approaches to helping others with near-zero overhead. A good use for the more fortunate among us for some of the money saved by not traveling, eating out in restaurants, or commuting. As a huge winter storm prepares to descend upon New Mexico, I'm drawn to the Danish concept of huga, a quality of coziness that creates a feeling of contentment. Such well-being is a hallmark of Scandinavian culture and is worth emulating. This, of course, leads to hugagok, a comfy nook, perhaps with a fire, blanket, book, and cup of favorite tea. Add to that mix 15-year-old Alma, whose first language really was music, complete with imaginary composer friends who help her out when developing the melodies that pop into her head gets difficult. Alma, whose entire body seems blissed out when she plays her compositions on violin or piano. Check her out with the link provided. Meantime, find that cozy nook and enjoy.